Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure to be here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you today? Good morning, Jason. I'm doing great. I'm actually looking forward to our webinars uh, next Wednesday. Um, you know, as you as you know, uh, we we have free free webinars. We, they used to be seminars, but uh, we do one in the morning on long term care. Uh, and uh, one in the afternoon on asset protection. And so, I'm, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where I enjoy those things, and it's, um, it gives me a platform to teach folks about some issues that a lot of folks are very interested in. So, you know, I would, I would encourage uh, folks to, to sign up, um, and they can either call the office or go online and sign up for that. So it's the kind of thing where... Uh, for, for an awful lot of folks, it can help them a great deal. And it, you know, it's about a two hour investment of their time, but I've never had anybody complain. <laughs> so I think it's something that can be extremely helpful to families. And we talk about this a lot on the show, Bill, and you do these webinars the second Wednesday of every month, and we'll talk very briefly later about how folks can find information and register. But uh, let's let's start at the beginning, Bill. You know the the morning session deals with long term care assistance. Can we start out with maybe why this is such a big problem for those who maybe aren't familiar with this world? Well, it's it's real easy to to say why people are interested and why people need to learn more about it. The rules are really complex. Uh, you, you know, people talk about Medicaid. Uh, and uh, like it's one big, you know, one big program. Uh, and the fact is, it's a bunch of different programs. And some of the programs, uh, very few people can actually be eligible for. And then other programs are available. And so uh, there's, there, well, and, and it's, it's the kind of thing where long-term care whether it's Medicaid, special assistance, some of the medi other Medicaid programs or VA benefits, they're all complicated. And this is not an area where you need to be getting your advice from your uncle or a neighbor or a friend at church because there are very, very few people out there, even professionals, uh, attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors, most know very little. They may know a little bit, enough to get them in trouble. And of course, because with these programs, the rules do change. And so even someone who has, um, have, has actual experience with it, um, it, it you know, the, the rules might have changed since then. So <laughs> the fact is, that uh, this is something where if you can get current information and accurate information, that's the real key, and figure and understand how it all fits together. That's, you know, if, if you can get to that level, then you're in good shape. And, you know, the, frankly, an awful lot of folks need good professional advice when it comes to this. And frankly, one of the biggest mistakes I have seen many, many, I mean, so many families make that is, is tragic is they 
wait too long to get advice. Um, you know, frankly, the, the people who get the right documents early on are so much better off than those who wait until a crisis. Uh, you know, people die without a will because they think they'll never die. <laughs> you know, you know, we're immortal. That's not going to happen to us, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the, the, and so it, it's, um, you know, and also when it comes to government assistance, the rules are tricky. Uh, and and uh, so it, most people need a lot of help in order to to be eligible uh and it's it's the the worst mistakes people make is they you know some folks just assume that there's not anything they can do unless they're out of money and of course that's not how the rules work at all so i wanted to take some time this morning to explain some of those rules uh and of course uh, if if um that folks are far better off coming to the webinar, but you know we're going to talk about some of the things this morning too that can help them a little bit. Well, I want to dive straight into that bill first. I want to let everyone know that if you are interested in learning more about Bill's webinars, you can go online to WGA Law. WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. All you have to do is click on the seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend. These are highly educational webinars. They're about two hours in length. As Bill said, again, WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button. If you prefer to call, you can call the office at 919-256-7000. All right, Bill, let's get into some of these issues related to long-term care. Okay. Well, f first of all, um, when you're talking about long-term care, whether it's Medicaid or some of the other Medicaid-like programs or even veterans' benefits, um, the, there are two parts to it. You know, one is what does it take to become eligible? In other words, if I'm in a crisis, can I get eligibility now? And the, and the truth is, from most programs, the answer is yes. It might not be immediate. It might take a month. It might take six weeks or eight weeks, depending on a lot of different circumstances. But with good professional advice, a lot of folks can, in fact, be eligible uh, very, very quickly. And, and, of course, it always comes back to the, the top legal answer in the world, uh, and that is it depends on your circumstances because everybody's different and everybody comes to us with different situations. But you got to think about it in terms of eligibility on one side of the line and asset protection on the other side of the line because I don't know of any families that don't want to protect what they have. They want to be eligible for these programs. And they want to have asset protection. Well, one of the key things that folks need to understand is eligibility, where you've been approved, you're eligible, and, and then you've gotten on one of these programs, does not equal asset protection. So you have to do both. You, you have to do what's necessary to become eligible, and then you also have to do what's necessary to protect your assets legally and ethically. 
and that's what it's all about. And so uh, it's sort of a two-pronged deal in terms of doing it right, doing it the way families really want it. Because nobody wants to lose their house. Nobody wants to lose their farm or their business or uh, their nest egg. And uh, frankly, you can, in fact, find ways to become eligible for programs and protect all or most of, of what you've worked for all your life. Well, that's good to know that that option is available to you if you want to register and learn more from Bill. As If you've listened to this program before, you can tell that Bill has a way of explaining some very complex concepts in an easy-to-understand way. So if you are worried about long-term care and the assistance available to you and how to navigate this uh, very challenging field to secure long-term care assistance, register for one of Bill's webinars. The next one is coming up this Wednesday, September 8th. There's still time to register now. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. We're taking a short break, but we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's also where you can register for this Wednesday's webinars. Be sure to go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button if you're interested in attending either session dealing with long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning happening this Wednesday, September 8th. WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, we're going to get into a discussion here regarding Medicaid. And this is important because in the past you've done entire programs dealing with the misinformation and myths about Medicaid. Well, there are a lot of terms with Medicaid that that, uh, confuse folks. And uh, right now I'm helping a family with Medicaid. Uh, the uh, w- One of the parents is in uh, a nursing home. And so we're uh, doing crisis planning, if you will, getting uh, the uh, getting dad on Medicaid uh, right, you know, very, very quickly. And so one of the questions uh, that where the um, <clears throat> client doesn't really understand completely is, is one called the monthly patient liability <laughs> okay they always use these these nice words that confuse people but in, in essence uh, when um, when you go on Medicaid the question is what happens to your your income and the general rule for patient liability each month is that your monthly income is paid to the a nursing facility. Uh, now, there, that's the the general rule. Uh, there are some things that you can keep out of that income, but the general rule is that the 
that your income. Now, the good news is, is that your spouse's income is not considered. In, in other words, they, they never take anything away from the spouse when it comes to uh, income. And in fact, one of the rules, if, for instance, if dad's in the nursing home and he was the breadwinner and mom's income is much less, then the rules will actually allow us to move part of dad's income over to mom so that she has enough money each month uh, to pay her bills. Um, now, the um, uh, there's uh, now the general rule being dad's income goes to the facility less. Number one, thirty dollars a month. Oh, you know, and you go whoopee. <laughs> but but that thirty dollars uh, is always there for the patient for incidentals, and of course. For dad, it might be enough. For mom, it would never be enough. So families have to have a way of supplementing dad's or mom's care. You know, my mother always wanted her hair done every week. There's, I mean, that was something that she did while she was well, and it was also something that we made sure that we uh, had for her later. And, of course, $30 a month doesn't take care of even that. So it's, it's the kind of thing where every Again, very, every family's different, and most families do need to supplement their loved one's care when they're in a facility on Medicaid, at least to some limited degree. Uh, now, they also you're also able to elect to keep your Medicare supplement insurance, sometimes called Medigap insurance, and you're allowed to keep enough money to, uh, each month to pay for whatever that insurance costs you. Uh, and, you know, some people have the insurance and it's covered already, like a retired state employee. They have that covered for them. So they, you know, in essence, they don't keep, they don't get to keep anything out of their check under those circumstances. But most people are paying for it. And it's typically a very good idea to keep that insurance. And it doesn't cost you anything more to keep it because they allow you to keep that money. And then, there is a formula for moving money over to mom if her income is less than dad's, but they never, ever take any money from mom as patient liability for uh, dad's care. So that's real important for folks to understand. Um, so that's one concept that folks need to understand in terms about how the income is used each month when you are on Medicaid in a, in a uh, nursing home facility. Another one for eligibility purposes is what is spend down. You know, that the Medicaid manual talks about spend down, and that has to do with assets. And some of your assets are exempt. You don't have to worry about those. And other assets are countable. And you always have to worry about countable assets because the fact is, is that um, Medicaid planning, if you will, is always about assets. Now, there is an income test, but the income test is real easy for everybody to pass because the test is simply for income is simply this. Is your monthly income less than the cost of care in a nursing facility? And we all know how expensive it is 
Uh, so uh, there's just so many. I mean, if your income is more than that, you're not eligible, but you wouldn't be looking for Medicaid anyway if your income was that high. <laughs> okay, so it really comes to the normal folks don't have ever any problem with the income test. It's always about the asset test. And when it comes to assets, uh, how the test works depend, it depends on whether you're single or married. Uh, now, but there's always a, quote, spin-down test involved. Now, what one of the things that I say all the time is spin-down does not necessarily mean spend. It can mean and often means converting property that's countable to a non-countable form of property, and that's the way a lot of uh, Medicaid plans actually work. But what's the spin-down test? If you're single... You can only have, for eligibility, you can only have up to $2,000 of countable property. Now, I emphasize countable because you can make everything else non-countable and be eligible, and that's that, that works. Now, if you're married, you can actually have up to, not, not everybody gets to keep it, but up to a right at $130,000 of countable property uh, and your loved one be eligible. In other words, the community spouse gets to keep that money. The patient gets to keep an additional $2,000, and then the rest has to be made non-countable for your loved one to be eligible for Medicaid. And that test, of course, is much easier. Now, your house is not countable. And quite frankly, I've always said any kind of real estate can be made non-countable. So we like real estate. That's something that we can utilize. Um, However, most folks have a nest egg, you know, of savings, retirement accounts, uh, bank accounts, uh, can be cash value of life insurance, depending on circumstances. Some some life insurance is not countable. Other policies are, but you never want to cash in a life insurance policy. Uh, and there are ways to keep life insurance, uh, even if you have a non-countable policy. Um, so it's a, it's a matter of converting property so that you're under those asset caps. But there's what's important for folks to understand is that there's not a net worth test. You know, so many people think, oh, you can't have anything at all and be eligible for Medicaid. Well, the fact is you can be worth 2 or $3 million and be eligible for Medicaid. It's just that your property has to be non-countable or exempt. I mean, and, and biggies, if quite frankly, your home is exempt. Uh, your re- other real estate can be made non-countable. Uh, you, you have one vehicle of any value that's non-countable and exempt, uh, and you have other property that is exempt as well. So Medicaid planning, particularly if it's a nursing home uh, situation, uh, for, and I say this frequently, middle-class families can be made eligible for Medicaid if they need nursing facility care. Now, some of the other programs out there are a little more difficult, but it's really important for folks to know whether they can be eligible 
or they know going in that they can't be eligible for that program or another program. So you can get eligible for this one, but not that one. Well, that's really important information for folks to have because the truth is, is that most folks cannot get eligible for help at the assisted living level, which of course is a lower level of care, but where people still need assistance, whereas they can get help at the nursing facility level of care. Um, so that's, that's the, these tests and how it works is a reasons why people really need to uh, attend the webinar. And if listening to that segment on Medicaid thought to yourself, well, I didn't know that. Well, you probably do need to register for Bill's webinar because it is jam-packed with information like what we're discussing today. You also have a chance to ask Bill's Bill questions, and by attending, you also are eligible for a free consultation with Bill if you are so inclined. If you would like to register, go online now to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. The next set of webinars is happening this Wednesday. Be sure to register now. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button. It is free to register and free to attend. The morning session deals with long-term care assistance, many of the topics that we are talking about today. And the afternoon session deals with asset protection and trust planning. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button or call the office 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. We have a lot more to get to. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can learn more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's also where you can register for Bill's webinars happening this Wednesday, dealing with the subjects of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. It's very easy to attend. All you need to do is go online and register. It's free to do so. And to attend, all you need is a device with internet access and an email address, and you're good to go on that front. WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button to find more information. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill were talking about issues related to long-term care and in particular we're discussing some Medicaid concepts and you got a few more that you want to hit. Well at least one more and that's um, uh, one that confuses people is called the snapshot date. Now snapshot only applies to a married couple. It never applies to a single person because the snapshot determines the spin down. Okay. And if you're single, you know, you have to get underneath $2,000 of countable property. But when you're married, it could be anywhere from 26,000 up to 130,000 of countable property that the community spouse, the healthy spouse, can actually keep. So what's the snapshot date? The snapshot date is the first day that your patient, your loved one who needs Medicaid, um, goes is institutionalized 
for 30 consecutive days. Now, institutionalized means hospital and or nursing care. Okay, so if you're in the hospital for a week and then you're discharged for rehab and you're in the rehab and in the nursing home for rehab for the next three or four weeks, you've gotten 30 days in. So if you went into the hospital on May the 15th, then the snapshot date would be May the 15th. And when you apply for Medicaid, they will look at all of the assets of the patient and the spouse uh, as of May the 1st um, uh, or the last day of April. I mean, it really doesn't matter to me whether they're looking at either date, but that's what is uh, important as far as eligibility goes. Now, part, you know, while I said they don't count income of the spouse, they do look at assets. And it doesn't matter if there's a prenuptial agreement, they still look at all the assets owned by either. It doesn't matter if some of the property is owned with the spouse and a child of the spouse. Doesn't matter. They're going to assume that anything that's owned with someone else other than your spouse is 100% owned by uh, you and your spouse. Uh, that uh, Now, you can rebut that presumption, but it is. And so they're going to count it all up. And the general rule for snapshot and spend down is you must spend down half of your resources. So in essence, even though the max is $130,000 for the community spouse, let's say you start out with $250,000. Well, half of that's one twenty-five, dollars so the spouse can keep $125,000, not one thirty, and the patient can keep two. Now, you come in and let's say you have $400,000 of countable property, well, the, the general rule is not going to work anymore because you have a maximum. So instead of 200000 that you end up having to spend down to uh, 270000 of a spend down to get down to one thirty. So uh, now, if you have one fifty of countable assets, one half is 75000 So you've got disparities because Mrs. Jones can only keep 75000 and Mrs. Smith can keep 130 But that's the way the rules work. I'm not saying they're fair. I'm just saying those are the rules, and that's the way the uh, asset test will work for each family. And I, I realize it's confusing, um, and it's, it's actually designed to be confusing. Um, but that's the way it works. And so those are some things that need to be understood. And like I said, these concepts are eligibility concepts. And once you get past eligibility, you have to also make sure that what you have uh, is protected. Now, the spouse does not have to worry. And one of the nice rules that we have is we can transfer property to the spouse without any penalty or sanction. People think about this five-year look back. Well, there, it doesn't apply to transfers to your spouse. And so whenever we're doing Medicaid planning, the first thing we do is move everything from the sick spouse over to the well spouse. And once it's in the hands of the well spouse, then it's actually protected as long as you do some other things. 
first thing, and do we have time to talk about it? Okay. Well, the first thing that we do once we move property is we have to make sure that the property doesn't go back to the patient. And guess what? Mom's will is almost always going to say, I'll leave everything to dad. So we've got to change her will, and we've got to change beneficiary designations on retirement accounts and life insurance and things like that. This is part eligibility. It's also part asset protection, okay, because we have to spend it down, but we also have to protect it. And, of course, by spending it down, I mean converting it to non-countable and then protect that property. But... We need what we do with mom is we give what I call a modified sweetheart will for mom. Sweetheart wills being I leave everything to dad. Well, with this, we leave everything to son or daughter in trust for dad in what's called a supplemental needs trust. It's a testamentary trust, that means it's in your will, and it protects dad. And it, there's no five year look back. Uh, and, of course, it protects dad in the event mom dies. If dad dies first, there's no issue. No trust is ever established, and, and everything is protected. But if mom dies first, because nobody knows when the Lord's going to take us, if mom dies first, then everything that's in her name goes into the trust for dad's benefit, can be used to supplement him while he stays on Medicaid, and then at his death, what's in the trust can be distributed to the children or grandchildren with no Medicaid estate recovery. And this trust is based on federal law. It works every time, and it's beautiful. But it's also, I need to talk, and when I come back, I want to talk about the difference between a testamentary trust and a revocable trust. We will get into that discussion, and this conversation is an example of just how hard it can be to navigate through the uh, the Medicaid process. So if you are worried about that, if you're looking for some free advice, register for Bill's seminar happening this Wednesday. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button to register. WGALaw.com, click on the Seminar button. The morning session deals with long-term care assistance and the afternoon session deals with asset protection and trust planning if you want to call the office the phone number is 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 or online at wgalaw.com a quick break and back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we will be right back This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Don't forget, Bill's next set of webinars is happening this Wednesday. If you would like to register to attend, go to WGALaw.com. It's free to do so, WGALaw.com, and click on that Seminars button to register. Bill, we're talking a lot about particular concepts with Medicaid, and you've went through a ton of those, and we're talking about issues related to long-term care in general. And before we uh, went to break, you mentioned revocable trusts and testamentary trusts. What do we need to know there? Well, when we're doing um, 
Medicaid planning and asset protection planning, uh, and you're trying to um, create a plan to protect your assets and to protect your spouse who's sick, uh, when you create a trust for yourself or your spouse, uh, it must, in order to be effective with Medicaid, it has to be a testamentary trust, and that means in your last will and testament, and it has to be a supplemental needs trust, okay, which is based on federal law. So you have to have the right language. It's, you know, it, we do it all the time, but for other folks, it's, you know, might seem complicated. Uh, now, it's, uh, w- with that said, uh, it's, with Medicaid, uh, what I'm trying to say is that you cannot create an effective asset protection trust for yourself or your spouse with a revocable trust or a trust that you create while you're alive. It's got to be in your will, and of course, there's a, a a big there's a problem with that, and, and that is you have to die to make it work. So um, uh, there are other ways uh, uh, to do it, and of course, one of the nice things about a testamentary trust is that it works beautifully. Uh, if it's a supplemental need, needs trust in your will, there's no five-year look back. It's, it's complete asset protection for your spouse and your family. So that's nice. But you can't do that same type of trust in a revocable trust, which is a trust that we use for many, many families, and they're wonderful. We love revocable trusts. But if you're doing Medicaid planning as a part of that, you know, if you know that it's a the thing where your spouse may be on Medicaid or is already on Medicaid, then your revocable trust is not going to work. Even if the trust says, when I die, create this trust out of my revocable trust. So we have to pour it over from your revocable trust to your will-based trust for it to work. And then Sometimes we're going to pour it back at the death of your spouse uh, to to your revocable trust to leave an asset protection trust for your children, which we love revocable trusts for what we can do for the children. And, you know, if, if Medicaid's not involved, then you can do an irrevocable trust for your spouse for remarriage planning and other types of plans to protect the inheritance for your children, which is so important to so many people. But there's a difference between, a big difference in Medicaid between what's called a first-party trust, that's where you're trying to create a trust for yourself, and a third-party trust. And so with Medicaid, first party means you, and it also means your spouse. You can't, if you try to create a trust that's not testamentary, not in your will, then if your spouse can receive anything out of that trust, or if you create a trust for yourself and you can receive any income at all, then uh, under any circumstances, even if it's d- discretionary trust, then Medicaid will count that income. If you can receive any principal or corpus of the trust at all, even though it's discretionary on the trustee, 
again, every bit of it is countable, and so it that typically will blow your Medicaid plan out of the water. Um, now, if you're creating a trust for someone else other than your spouse, such as a child or grandchild, or a parent, or someone else like that, then you can, in fact, use your revocable trust and create a separate subtrust for other family members other than your spouse. And as long as it's fully discretionary for income and principal, it will not be a countable asset for Medicaid. So long as your trustee is wise enough to tell DSS, no, we're not going to help out on Medicaid. Um, that that's an important concept too, because the caseworker actually has to call up the trustee and say, "Wouldn't you like to help help out on these nursing home expenses?" And the trick is to say, "No, can't do it." And then the trustee can turn around and supplement the care while the patient is in fact on Medicaid. So, little few little tricks to the trade there. Um, but it it is uh, discretion. You know, asset protection typically is all about trustee having absolute discretion when it comes to making distributions for income or principal. Now I'm talking about some concepts that I use in my my afternoon seminar for asset protection here, but discretion is the key thing. And so, uh, for instance, if you have a trust that says my spouse will get all of the income, you know, and there are lots of trusts like that, uh, then the income has no protection to it at all. Now, if the principal has discretion, in other words, the, the uh, spouse or other uh, beneficiary can't get to that, then that has total um, asset protection under those circumstances. Uh, but, you know, and, and some folks will do a Medicaid trust where the income is countable, but there's no... Uh, uh, access to the principal, and so that principal's not counted. But those are dangerous. Why? Because in most cases where Medicaid or long-term care is needed, the principal is needed. And see, there's a scary part here is there are an awful lot of folks who can be eligible for Medicaid, but they're not eligible for assistance called special assistance at the assisted living level. Well, assisted living can be almost expensive, sometimes more expensive than nursing care. So guess what? If you have a Medicaid trust where principal is not available, that's a real problem uh, if the, if the um, beneficiary doesn't need nursing care. If they only need a, a assisted living, then you're not going to have money in that trust that's available for that care. So you have to be real careful and issues like that when you're planning with trusts. That's why it's important to have guidance and also experience guiding you along the way. If you want to register for Bill's seminar happening this Wednesday, be sure to go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button. Again, these are in the form of webinars, so you can enjoy them from the comfort of your own home. Just go to WGALaw.com, click on that seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend. 
The morning session deals with long-term care assistance. You may have heard our discussion earlier related to concepts about Medicaid. Bill goes into that as well as VA VA benefits and many other topics as well. The afternoon session deals with asset protection and trust planning, which is more in line with our discussion here on trust. But you are free to attend either of them or both if you so wish. All you have to do is go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button or you can call the office 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A short break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander and we will be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. If you want to find more information about Bill, be sure to go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. And don't forget, Bill's seminars happening this Wednesday. You can register for free by going to WGALaw.com and clicking on Seminars. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've got a little bit more asset protection here to talk about before we head out. Okay, I do. And all right, so we're into trusts and asset protection. And I, I help a lot of families with revocable trusts. And so one of the questions I think is important uh, is do we put our home into the trust? And uh, many attorneys would say absolutely no question about it. And I say maybe. It, it depends on your trust agreement because most of the revocable trusts that we do will at least have um, a, a, a an estate tax plan in it. And if you have an estate tax plan with a credit shelter trust, you know, that's sometimes called an AB trust or a family trust, uh, it's an irrevocable trust at the first death, and typically about half of the couple's assets would go into that trust at the at the first death. Well, now, if you think about it, if I have a credit shelter trust or another way we end up with an irrevocable trust at the first death is if the family wants what we call remarriage protection. And oftentimes the ladies are very concerned about if they die first that their husband will go off and marry the snake lady who's there to take away their children's inheritance. And so they set up an irrevocable trust with what we call remarriage restrictions to protect their children from the stupidity of their husbands. Okay, <laughs> so uh, the... Uh, uh, obviously, so when I have an irrevocable trust that is clearly created, uh, now uh, not everybody does that. A lot of folks will have a trust that where everything stays revocable for their spouse and then becomes a lifetime asset protection trust for their children. But when we create an irrevocable trust at the first death, then I recommend that the home stay in the couple's name and not be moved to the trust because I fervently believe 
that the surviving spouse deserves complete control of the home when the first spouse dies so that they can sell the home. They don't have an irrevocable trust owning half the home. Uh, They basically own the home. If they need to move on, they can sell it. But the bottom line is it's an asset that they can enjoy and manage for the rest of their life. Uh, and to me, that's that's more important than having the home be stuck into an irrevocable trust. So now, on the other hand, if you have a trust where um, it's uh, completely uh, irrevocable uh, for the surviving spouse, then our legislature has given uh, you the very same protection by putting your home in trust as keeping it outside of trust in what's called tenants by the entirety. So that basically helps that as well. So that's a big issue for a lot of folks where I might disagree with some other uh, attorneys, but I, I think I'm right. I think it's the best course of action for most families. Um, and of course, uh, it uh, you know not everything is about asset protection. Not everything is about taxes. It's really about how do we take care of each other. What are our real goals in life in terms of taking care of each other and then preserving what we can for our children. And if you want some advice and guidance on executing those plans, be sure to go to WGALaw.com. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or if you want to register for the webinars happening this Wednesday, just click on the Seminars button or you can call the office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We are out of time for today. We hope you will join us again Next weekend, you've been listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.